Jacob was close to 130 years old when he made this statement with regard to what he had seen his experience to be. All these things are against me. That was Jacob's perception. He had experienced so much of the grace of God for so many years and this is his assessment of his situation. All these things are against me. And nothing could be further than the truth. Everything that was taking place was taking place for his salvation, the salvation of his children, the preservation of Israel, and the preservation of the seed that would be born some 1,500 years later the Lord Jesus Christ, everything was working together for his good. But his perception, all these things are against me. Now you will remember at this time that Joseph was the prime minister of Egypt and he was the most powerful man on earth if you were going to have anything to eat it was up to Joseph now how could there be more power than that you'd starve to death if he decided you wouldn't have food look in chapter 42 verse 55 and when all the land of Egypt was famished the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. <clears throat> and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph. Don't come to me. Go to Joseph. What he saith to you, <clears throat> do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth. There was only one place you could get food. Egypt. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came unto Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all the lands. Now, if you're going to have anything to eat, you get it from Joseph. If you're going to have salvation, it must come from Christ only. Do you believe that? Let's go on reading. Chapter 42. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I've heard that there's corn in Egypt. Get ye down thither and buy for us from thence, that we may live and not die. We considered that some last week. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, he also was the son of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob's sent not down with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. Um, these other guys are expendable, but I want this man safe. He's my favorite. Verse Five, 
And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land. Now let me remind you, he was 17 years old when his brother sold him into Egypt. He's nearly 40 now. And they don't recognize him. He recognizes them. What do you think he thought when he saw these men come in? Can you imagine how amazing that was? He recognized them, but they had no idea who he was. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth, just like Joseph dreamed it would take place. They hit the dirt. You see, they understood that if they were going to have any food, if they were going to survive, it was totally up to him. And they bowed down with their faces in the ground, just as Joseph dreamed. Verse 7. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them and spake roughly unto them. He didn't want them to know who he was just yet. He spoke roughly with them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. Turn back to Genesis 37 for just a moment. Verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more, for he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, you were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obedience, worshipped my sheep. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told his brethren and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars, referring to his eleven brothers, made obedience to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Yep. Yep. And he sees this taking place. But what does he say to them? You're spies. To see the nakedness of the land, you are come. Now, he didn't mean that. He had intentions of mercy and grace for them. But their perception was, we're in trouble. Verse 10, and they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. <clears throat> we are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. Now, I agree they were not spies. They came there to buy food. But true men, 
Come on. You guys have been living a lie for many years after what you've done to your brother. And you continue the lie to your father. Your father doesn't know what you did. Yes, I would agree you're not spies, but you're not true men. But that's what they called themselves. Verse 12, and he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land you are come. Now, I can't help but think Joseph was kind of enjoying this. He knew exactly what he was doing. He saw his brothers groveling, and he got some kind of uh, enjoyment out of that. But he still intended mercy. What they perceived was not reality at this time. But this elicits more information about them. And they said to Joseph, who knew them and they didn't know him, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. Now, Joseph heard of Jacob, his beloved father, and he heard of Benjamin, his beloved brother. This is what he was interested in. And Joseph said unto them, verse 14, That is that I spake unto you, saying, You're spies. Hereby you shall be proved. This is what is going to demonstrate whether or not you're real. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. You're going to bring Benjamin here. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and you shall be kept in prison. That your words may be proved, whether you, there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together into the ward in prison for three days. And I like to think about what all they were talking about during this time. I bet there was finger pointing, blaming. Uh, it, it's hard telling what all was said at this time. And then something happened that absolutely freaked them out. And we considered that this morning. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live. For I fear God. Now I believe they probably were like Abraham back in Genesis chapter 20 when Abimelech said, why did you do this? And Abraham said, well, I thought the fear of God wasn't here. Well, God was there. Even if his fear wasn't with those people, God was still there. But Abraham was very concerned. And I believe these men were just like that. And they were shocked when this man whom they didn't know who he is, they didn't know he was Joseph. They just knew he was the ruler of the land and that their food, whether they had any, was up to him. And he said, I fear God. I fear Elohim. He knew, or they knew, he was talking about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the triune God. Elohim is the plural of God, God's God the Father. There's one God revealed in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you can be sure that these men were amazed when they heard this man say to them, I fear God. They didn't know anybody in Egypt feared God. But here the head man says, I fear God. God, the God that created the heavens and the earth. I fear God. Verse 19, if you be true men, 
Let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me, so that shall your words be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Now he gives him instruction. I'm going to give you food. You go back. When you come back again, you bring your brother Benjamin. I imagine he, maybe he didn't leave the room, but they didn't understand that he could understand their language. And they said one to another, and I imagine he, well, I know he was listening at this time because the scripture says uh, he spake to him through an interpreter, and they didn't know he knew the Hebrew language while they were speaking, so they started speaking to each other in Hebrew. And here's what they say, and they said one to another, we're verily guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. They're saying, what goes around comes around, and it's coming back to us. We got this coming after the way we treated our brother. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you? I told you. (laughs) I told you. Saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. They thought, God is paying us back. Verse 23, and they knew not that Joseph understood them. For he spake unto them by an interpreter, and they had no idea that he understood every word they were saying. Once again, Perception is not reality, is it? Verse 24. And he turned himself about from them and wept. You see, he loved his brothers. And he was overcome by this. He wasn't going to let them know it at this time. But he turned himself about from them and wept and returned to them again and communed with them. He communed with them. And he took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. He's the one, I'm going to keep him here while you all go back. He's going to stay here. Then, verse 25. Oh, this is such a a glorious gospel message. Then Joseph commanded. (laughs) Salvation begins with God's command, doesn't it? Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn. Plumb to the full. You couldn't put another kernel in one of them. I mean, he's giving them corn abundantly. And to restore every man's money in a sack. He's not going to take money. This is grace. You're not going to pay for a thing. He commanded to restore everyone their money back into their sacks. They didn't know it yet, but that's what he did. And to give them provision for the way. There's perseverance. He gives provision provision for the way that people might continue all the way to the end. And thus did he unto them. Isn't that what salvation is? It's what he does to us. When he had by himself purged our sins. He sat down. Oh, what a three-point gospel message there is right there. He filled their sacks. Plum full. 
You are complete in him. Nothing else can be added. He wouldn't take their money because salvation is by grace. And he gave them provision for the way. The reason you're going to continue all the way to the end is because he gives you provision for the way. This is what he did. Verse 26, and they laid their asses with the corn. I, I wonder how much corn that was. And departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn. I like to think about this. Just traveling and got to the hotel. Tried to saddle up or unsaddle their asses. Put them in. Feed them. One fellow opens his sack. And all of his money has been restored. He espied his money for behold it was in his sack's mouth. Verse 28, and he said unto his brethren, my money is restored, and lo, it's even in my sack. And their heart failed them. They thought, we're in trouble. He's going to use this to go against us. We didn't try to keep our money, but here it is restored to us. And the scripture says their hearts failed them. They thought, this is bad. We're going to end up getting in trouble for this. Now, once again, perception's not reality, is it? This was his grace. But they were perceiving it as something that was going to go against them. Verse 28, and he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it's even in my sack. And their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God? hath done to us. Now they knew that this was all God. They didn't know whether it was for good or for evil, but they knew it was God. And I hope that you and I will remember that whatever takes place, it's God. Verse 29. And they came unto Jacob, their father, unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that Look at that word, befell unto them. It all fell down from heaven. I love that language. It befell them. And here's what they said. The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, we're true men, we're no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that you're true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your household, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that you're no spies, but that you're true men. So will I deliver you, your brother, and you shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass... As they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was there in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me, have you bereaved of my children? Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and you'll take Benjamin away? All these things are against 
Turn with me to this very familiar passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 8. Somebody may be thinking, can believers speak that way? Sure they can. Sure they can. And Jacob is. All these things are against me. Now this is a verse that if we can't quote it, we ought to quote it. Verse 28. Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Jacob's perception was that all things are working together against him. The reality is everything is working for him. How do we know this? Paul says, and we know. This is not an educated guess. This is not me trying to develop a hypothesis, and this is the statement we conclude. We know. We know. Well, how do you know this, Paul? Well, first of all, because it's the teaching of Scripture. It's what the Bible's always taught. This is no new New Testament doctrine. This is the truth with regard to the Word of God. God is God, and the Scripture says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Every step you take is ordered by God himself. You don't realize it. Most of the time you're not even thinking about it. But every step is ordered by the Lord. Known unto God are all of his works from the beginning. Turn with me for a moment to Proverbs chapter 16. Verse 1, the preparations of the heart in man. And that word preparations is the disposition, the inclination. The preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue, the way he responds, is from the Lord. Look in verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way. You have plans for tomorrow, probably, thinking about what is going to be done, maybe even tonight. You're devising your way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Look in verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Look in Proverbs 19, 21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel, the determinate counsel of the Lord 
shall stand. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. That's Bible. This is what the scripture has always taught. He declareth the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. This is what the Bible has always taught. That's why we know, and all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It's because we know it, because the Bible's taught it, and here's the second reason we know it. We know it because he's revealed it to us through his word. You see, there's a lot of people could read that, and okay, let's go on to the next. It just doesn't mean much to them, but to somebody it means everything. And that means God has taken his word and shined his light in your heart to make you rejoice in it. And here's a third reason we know this is so. First, because it's what the Bible teaches. Second, because he's revealed it to us. He's revealed his gospel to us. This is not just um, an intellectual uh, acknowledgement of what it says there, but there's a rejoicing in it because he's revealed it. But here's the third reason. This only fits with the character of God. Anything else is not God. Anything else is a false God, is a weak God. It's not the God of the Bible. This is the God of the Bible. Known unto God are all his works. He doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? We know. They may not, but we do, don't we? We know. That all things work together for good. And it's not hard for him to cause all things to work together for good because it's God. It's not difficult. It's not like he's trying to scratch his head trying to figure out how to make everything work out. He's God. It's easy for him to take all things and work them together for good to them. That Here's the next thing I want to point out about this though. Who does all things work together for good for? All things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. That's the twofold description. They love God. Now I realize I'm, I'm just sure that when we think of our love to God, we feel quite sure that it's way too weak and that it's not as strong and passionate as it should be. And it's not, it's not, is it? Do you love God the way he ought to be loved? Of course you don't. To, to, to my shame. I, and I, one of the things I pray, Lord, cause me to love you more. Cause me to adore you more. Cause me, to, I want to love him more. But I know this. My love to him is not what it ought to be, but I tell you this, I do love him as he's revealed in his word. 
I love his holiness, his otherness. I love his justice. He's absolutely just. No sin will ever go unpunished. I love his sovereignty, the fact that he controls everything, even the, the thoughts going through men's minds. He's Lord of. I mean, he really is God. I love his mercy, his grace, his immutability, his independence. I love his wholeness. You know, he's not made of parts. He's not part sovereign and part love and part judge. No, he's whole in all that he is. He's the God of glory. And we love him as he's revealed in his word. We would not change him if it were in our power. We wouldn't change him in any way. He's God. He's altogether glorious. To them who love God, to them who are thee called according to his purpose. God has what he calls in Ephesians 1 an eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This man Jacob who said, all these things are against me. You know what Paul said? For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. Not of works. <laughs> That's God's purpose. Not of works, but of him that calleth. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Are you back in Romans 8? Romans 8. Somebody once called this the golden chain of salvation. And it's got five links. And none of these links are weak. You know, as they say, a chain is as strong as its weakest link. Well, these are omnipotent links. There's no weakness in this chain. Verse 28, let's read it again. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are thee called according to his purpose for See, the thought's not over. For whom he did for no. Now that doesn't simply mean that God can look through the telescope of time and see what all is going to happen and who's going to be born. This foreknowledge, Adam knew his wife. This is talking about intimate, saving love. It doesn't say what he foreknew. It says whom he did foreknow. Jeremiah 31.3, Behold, I have loved you with an everlasting Oh, may the Lord give us the grace to bathe in that. Before I was ever born, the Lord loved me. 
I had personality with God before I had any physical existence. Before I was formed in the belly, he knew me. He loved me. This is where salvation begins with the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We love him because he first loved us. Whom he did foreknow. Now remember, this is being called according to his purpose. Whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate. You know, I love that word. I think it's amazing that in, you know, religious people avoid that word. Oh, I love that word. This is who God is. He's the God of predestination. He predestinates everything. He's God. He's God. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. How come? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, a lot of times when folks think of predestination, they think, well, you know, if you bump your finger, it was predestinated. Or if you break your leg, it was predestinated. Well, I wouldn't say it's not, but that's not what predestination is about. Predestination is about being conformed. God predestinating you to be perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see everybody he foreknew? He predestinated to be just like his son, Jesus Christ. Do you want that? Do you want to be just like Christ? He predestinated you to be just like Christ. Verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Now this is talking about the call of invincible grace. Now some people, they'll take the great Glorious truths of predestination and election. They say, well, if you're predestined, you'll end up in heaven no matter what. Even if you never hear the gospel, oh no. Oh no. Them he predestined, them he also called. And this is the call of effectual grace. When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I converted all the flesh and blood. I didn't ask men what they thought about this. We preach Christ crucified, Paul said, unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Religious people, when they hear the gospel, they say, why? That'll lead to sin. If you preach grace that free and that complete, why, that'll lead people to to live lives of indifference and apathy and that will lead people to sin. Well, that's the response of a religious person that doesn't know the Lord, but it won't uh, make any God people like that. Yeah, that, that, that. That ain't ever happened. It hadn't happened. And to the Greeks, 
the wise of this world. Well, this is foolishness. How can this help me? How can this help make this world a better place by preaching Christ crucified? I'm interested in improving the world and changing the world and, and making advances to make life better. This is nothing but foolishness. That's what it is to the Jews. That's what it is to the Greeks. But unto them which are called. Both Jews and Greeks. You know, he does call Jews religious people. He does call Greeks to those which are called both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God. Christ, the wisdom of God. And whom he called, verse 30, them he also what? Justified. Now, would to God that me and you could get a hold of this. If I'm justified, that means I have no sin before God. I hate it the way preachers talk about justification. Well, it's a forensic term. It's a legal, legal term. And that ain't the Bible. It's who a believer is in Christ Jesus without guilt, without sin, perfect in Christ Jesus so that the holy God looks at me, Todd Nybert, because of what Christ did for me, and he says with regard to me, I'm well pleased with him. He's perfect. He's without sin. He's justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, it doesn't say them he will glorify. It says, whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, somebody looks at me and says, you don't look very glorified to me. I get it. You don't look very glorified to me either. But that's not the point. Is Christ glorified? I am too. I'm in him. Jacob. Perception. All these things are against me. Reality. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the power and the reality of your grace. And Lord, we're like Jacob, so easily led to cry out in our perception of things that they're not good. But Lord, deliver us from our flawed sight and our flawed perception and enable us to know that all things 
work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to your glorious purpose. Bless this message for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray.